This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 178, Submission 229, Voyagers. Voyagers aired on NBC from October 3rd, 1982 to July 10th, 1983 for a total of 20 episodes. Travel through time to help history along. Give it a push where it's needed. When the Omni's red, it means history's wrong. Our job is to get everything back on track. So before Loki was messing among the variants, before the Doctor boarded the TARDIS, well, the uh, fifth or sixth or so incarnation of the Doctor, and before somebody decided to uh, jump into a time machine on Timeless, we had Phineas Bogg. Wait, 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 wait. Don't you mean Phileas Fogg? No, no, no. Granted, they are similar, but legally distinct people. Ah, you got to avoid those lawsuits. Yes. Phineas Fogg. He, now stop me if you've heard this one. He is a time traveler tasked with protecting history as it happens. Wow. And, and there's no TARDIS in play? No, there's no TARDIS in play. There is, however, get this. Okay. A pocket watch. A pocket watch. He's saving all of history with a pocket watch. Does it at least run on like vegetable oil like Ed Begley's TARDIS? That's a good question. Anywho, Greg, you were saying? Well, it's a pocket watch. What do you think it is? It runs on, like, time, silly. It runs on, like, gears and stuff. So, James Perriott, who, by the way, we talked about on previous installments, Misfits of Science, was the mind behind this series. And it was, again, in that whole sort of window of time in NBC where they were trying anything and everything to, you know, get back to the good graces of viewers. Yeah, this is a little bit pre-Brandon Tartikoff. Yeah. He'd save the network in a year or two. But hey, bless NBC, they were trying. 
And the fact of the matter is, this was actually, if you look past the obvious anachronisms and also the obvious sort of, okay, how the hell is that supposed to work? It's actually a decent bit of storytelling that it was incomplete. And we'll get into why it was incomplete momentarily. But it seems like everything involved, unless your name is Doctor Who, every show that involves time travel is doomed. Or Quantum Leap. Or Quantum Leap, yeah. Or maybe you can make a case for Futurama. Well, that's not, well, time travel, but he was frozen for a thousand years. Just putting that out there. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Okay. So, the story behind Voyagers, since there really wasn't anything behind production except we need something that will get the kids watching and we need something that will get anybody watching. Hey, you know what works? History. We could get kids to learn about history by taking this good-looking guy and taking his shirt off. Oh, I'm sorry. Contrary to popular belief, that only happens in three episodes. Ooh! Yeah, man. Something for the kids and something for the ladies, am I right? (laughs) You have no idea, sir. Brings a whole new definition to the family hour. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Looks good. Oh, it looks good. 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 Oh, yes. Oh, John Eric Hexum as Phineas Bog. He definitely looks good. Yeah. But yeah, that this is uh, John Eric Hexum's first role in a televised series. Uh, if you remember, he was a male model and one of the biggest male models of the early 80s. And this is actually his first starring role. Which I personally think he nailed. But yeah. Yeah, he was very good in this. He was one of many time travelers who was tasked with protecting history as it happened. And his deal is all explained in the opening that you heard at the top of the show. He carries with him a pocket watch called the Omni. When the pocket watch is read, he is transported to the corresponding point in history that is, for lack of a better term, affected by variants. Yeah, you're going to hear a lot of Loki comparisons, by the way. Isn't that right, Greg? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, there's no sighting of a crocodile in this series. And he of. doesn't fall in love with the female version of himself. Oh, yeah, that is true. <laughs> oh, oh, Loki, why are you falling in love with the female version of yourself? But that's for another podcast, Chico. Oh, yes, it is. We'll get there momentarily. You know? Yeah. But like the doctor before him and the doctor after him, he carries with him a companion. And it just so happens to be a guy he literally ran into when he was on his sort of mission. Yeah, he accidentally runs into him in 1982. Yep, and ultimately, he's stuck with him. And his partner is uh, 
guy by the name of Jeffrey Jones. Not that Jeffrey Jones. Oh, no, 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 and Jeffrey is played by Mino Peluche, who you would know as the uh, half-brother of one Soleil Moonfry. Yes. Oh, and as a matter of fact, Mino Peluche would have just finished on ABC another future installment of this podcast, Best of the West. And do you know who that starred, Mike? I do not. Leonard Fry. Yes! <laughs> Buddy! Okay. So, their job is, it's a simple one. It's a thankless one. It's basically hopping from time to time, making sure history happens as it's supposed to happen. And of course, as a Voyager, Phineas Fogg is armed with Something akin to a history book. There's just one problem. Oh, yeah. He lost the history book back in 1982, thanks to Jeffrey's dog. The gives new meaning to the phrase, the dog ate my homework. <laughs> Jeez. I'll be here all week. Tip the bill, try your waitress. Okay. So, luckily... Jeffrey happens to be a genius, and his strength and his subject of strength is history. Yes, because his dad was a history professor. So instead of this, you know, history book, he has a walking, talking history book that he has to keep alive. And let's be honest, there are times when Bog and Jeffrey... Could very well die. Oh, yes. They're in situations where they can die. Hey, no one said history was safe. No. And for everything that happens to Bog and Jeffrey, it seems like Bog is the one that gets everybody into all the mess. Jeffrey is the one that gets everybody out of the mess. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I get it. Because... Bog sort of kind of just finds his way into trouble, and it's up to Jeffrey to sort of give history a push. And this all is perfectly explained in the first episode, where Jeffrey has to make sure that baby Moses sails down the Nile to meet the Pharaoh's daughter, so that we can all have Passover. Oh, thank heavens that... <laughs> Jeffrey was able to help guide history along so that we could eat matzo bread. See, I remember that episode of Rugrats. Everyone remembers that episode of Rugrats. Everyone remembers Rugrats. So we explained that the characters are basically polar opposites. We have Bog, who was sort of, again, spent most of his time looking badass. Yeah. And, you know, and... For some reason, falling in love with a woman in every episode. Oh, yeah. 
What are you doing, Phineas? Falling in love with women when you're trying to guide history to its proper course? What are you doing? Love does not take a break from history happening, my friend. You know what? I've seen Hamilton enough times to know that. So while Phineas is getting his historical freak on with the Lady of the Week, Jeffrey's trying to figure out what went wrong and how he has to set it right. Much to Boggs' chagrin. In fact, he's got a couple of phrases he likes to mutter. Smart kids give me a pain. And also, bat's breath, which is basically the family-friendly swear word of the series. But ultimately, you know, opposites attract. They team up on various adventures to various degrees of success. Hey, history continues unabated. What can we say? Yep. Hey, you want to? Le- you guys want to learn some history? Yeah, let's learn some history, guys. Let's, let's talk about history. Yeah, we just had a nice history lesson two weeks ago with the Bicentennial Minute. Why not continue the education? Yeah, because that's what we do on this podcast. We try to entertain and educate. Yes. You're darn right. All right. Okay. Here we go. Episode one. And it's called, you're not going to believe this, guys. Yo, it's called Voyagers. Wow. (laughs) Creative. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Time traveler Phineas Bogg accidentally goes to New York City in 1982 using a handheld time machine known as the Omni, where he meets 11-year-old orphan Jeffrey Jones. His parents have died, but when Jeffrey falls out a window, Bogg goes after him, and they both disappear. Bogg cannot bring Jeff back to 1982 because Bogg's Omni only has circuits up to 1970. Bog was only able to go to 1982 because his Omni head malfunctioned. In saving Jeffrey's life, Bog was unable to retrieve his guidebook, a book that told how history should have happened in 1982. So in 1450 BC, Jeff helps Bog as a voyager by putting baby Moses in the Nile in ancient Egypt. But in France, an alternate ending to World War I is taking place in 1918. Without airplanes! Dun-dun-dun! Oh, hold on. Really? Yeah. Huh? Is this like the effect where if you, like, hit a mosquito, it changes history forever? Something like that. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, there they meet an aspiring U.S. actress played by Faye Grant. They both go back in time to 1903 in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And there, Bog angers Jeffrey when he says something about his father. Later, Jeffrey sadly tells Bog about how his mom and dad died. He cries when he says he could not get anyone to stop. Bog tells Jeffrey not to blame himself and covers Jeff up, whereupon Jeff falls asleep. The two then travel to Dayton, Ohio, and inspire the Wright brothers to invent the first airplane, the Wright Flyer. Next, they jump ahead in time, making sure the Allies have airplanes in World War I, battling the Red Baron in an aerial dogfight along the way. Then they go to England on October 14th, 1066, in the middle of the Battle of Hastings. Oh, man. Okay, guys. Guys. Okay. All right. You ready for a guest star in this episode? I'm sitting down. Okay, guys. Guys, this makes total sense. And it's very fitting with the lore of this podcast that he'd be on this, okay? Playing Wilbur Wright... 
Ed Begley Jr. So wait, did he have a biplane that ran on vegetable oil? This is the alternate history. They had to stop Ed Begley Jr. from building a plane running on vegetable oil. But then that it's not really helping history along the proper course if you think about it. No, it's not really. No. You know, convincing Ed Begley Jr. to make an airplane is no problem. The one problem you have to convince the guy from the Kaminsky method and the equalizer to join him. That would be Donald Petrie who plays Orville, right? That's right. He does play Orville right, but he's mainly known as a director, Chico. Can you uh, list the name of some films he's done? I would love to. He has done, um, like I said, he was a director for The Kaminsky Method, Opposite Sex, Miss Congeniality, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Oh, Miss Congeniality. Well, you know what? Miss Congeniality taught us what the idea of a perfect date is. Let's play it right here. Describe... Your perfect date. That's a tough one. <laughs> um, I'd have to say April 25th, because it's not too hot, not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. <laughs> okay, so those are the Wright brothers, and we have an actual person who was in this episode. Oh! Yes, and I only learned this because Kevin Perjurer of Defunctland did a really good episode on the history of Eastern Airlines. Because, you see, Eastern Airlines is A, defunct, and B, the former official airline of Disney World. That's right, it was. And it was founded by Eddie Rickenbacker, who is played in this episode by Peter Frechette. Who dat be? Uh, Peter Frechette is a that guy from that thing. He was last seen in 2016 on Devious Maids. Okay. But uh, has roles on Law and Order, Law and Order Criminal Intent, Future Installments, New York News, Mantis, and I have no idea what Dream Street is, but yeah. Eddie Rickenbacker is based on an actual person. So we fixed the whole airline fracas. We don't know what happened in the Battle of Hastings. and Yeah, we nobody... don't really need to care about that. Nobody thought about continuity in 1982. Well, also, wasn't this technically a pilot? Yes, yes. it was. So, so, so do you necessarily need continuation off a pilot? It would be a good idea if you get picked up, but... Again, NBC's throwing just about anything at the wall, so they found something that stuck for 20 episodes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and by the way, Quantum Leap is uh, similar but uh, legally distinct from Voyagers, but it does it so much better. That's like, it's like, think about it. Quantum Leap is Voyagers with continuity. Yeah, it's basically what it is, because they have the interstitials at the end of the episode linking to the next episode. Yes. They landed 1066 England at the Battle of Hastings, and we don't know what the hell happened. Yeah. We're left to assume that the Battle of Hastings continued 
as it was supposed to. Because I think ultimately we would have heard differently. If it didn't. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to episode two, shall we? Okay. Created equal. The issue of slavery is focused on as the Voyagers end up in 73 BC in Italy during a gladiator training session overseen by Cicero. They meet Spartacus and are thought to be slaves, but they escape to Missouri in 1847. There they meet 12-year-old Samuel Clemens. Oh, by the way, for you guys that don't know, that's Mark Twain. Yep. And end up meeting Harriet Tubman with the Underground Railroad. Then they return to ancient Rome to free Spartacus so he could rally his fellow slaves back in Capua. I love you, Spartacus. Hey, hey, Mike. Do you think? Yeah. Do you think? Do you think <laughs> Tony Curtis did Hollywood Babylon about Mark Twain? <laughs> he may have seriously. He may have done a, a Hollywood Babylon about uh, John Eric Hexum. Seriously. Yeah, he yeah probably could, did. Yeah. I, I, you know what? After we're done here, I will look into it. Yeah. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Oh, and speaking of John Eric Hexum, uh, oh. this is one of the three episodes where John Eric Hexum proves how serious he is about this role by taking his shirt off. <laughs> Bully and Billy, the Voyagers, end up in Santiago, Cuba on July 1st, 1898 during the Spanish-American War. But the Spanish are winning because Theodore Roosevelt and the Rough Riders are not there to help because Billy the Kid had killed Roosevelt back in 1880. After helping Benjamin Franklin with his kite in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on June 10th, 1752. Yeah, for some reason they have to help Benjamin Franklin with his kite. I don't know why. I'm still trying to figure out how all of this... Okay, let, let's, let, me, let me try and do this again. Santiago, Cuba in 1898 during the Spanish-American War. Theodore Roosevelt is there to help the Americans. So Because Billy the Kid killed him. Because Billy the Kid killed him. So now they time travel so back they have to, to go back to 1752. To help Benjamin Franklin for some reason. And then they go, go to 1880 to team up with Billy the Kid's outlaw gang to prevent the future U.S. president from being shot in the Old West. So they basically have to stop Billy the Kid from killing Benjamin Franklin. Uh, yes. Why didn't you just say that? Oh, yeah. But guys... <laughs> You're not going to believe who was in this episode. Oh, I'm going to believe it because I, I know exactly who you're talking about. Okay, playing the role of Davis. Guys, that bastard Charles Logan Gregory Itson is in this that episode. Bastard. That bastard. Let me at him. Let that, me at him. That jerk Charles Logan. I'm gonna, I want to hurt him. I want to hurt him. Oh, yeah. I bet him and the Royal Pacific Hotel, they are all planning evil things. Oh, I guarantee boy. you. There's a Hydra in the It Was a Thing on TV verse, and it's that bastard Charles Logan working with the Royal Pacific Hotel. Yep. And they have to protect uh, Benjamin Franklin, who is played by Greg Henry, who, by the way, in case you didn't see it yet, is going to be in the upcoming Blade Runner Black Lotus on Netflix. Oh, I know they were doing a Blade Runner series. Yeah, they're doing a Blade Runner anime series on Netflix. Oh, okay. Well, I'll watch it when Stranger Things Season 4 comes back, because I canceled my Netflix account last year, so. Ah. All right. 
Well, he also plays Grandpa Grandpa Quill in the uh, MCU. Oh, okay. In Guard- I'm guessing Guardians of the Galaxy 1. And 2. And 2. Okay. Uh, a little MCU connection there. On the All right. Maybe he'll be in What If. Who knows? They also released that trailer. Can't wait for that. Yeah, as we're recording this. And I actually, I just got back from the theater to see Black Widow. Don't say anything. I, I'm going to see it at a theater on yeah, Saturday. Because you don't want to pay the 30 bucks for premium access on Disney+. Plus. I would rather pay 30 bucks for my ticket and a slice of flatbread and some caramel corn. Ooh, caramel corn. You know what? Well, we'll get to Abraham Lincoln eventually, but did you know that there's a treasure inside his head, Chico? There's a treasure inside Abraham Lincoln's head? Yeah, Ren and Stimpy told me there's a treasure inside his head. Uh, Ren? Yes? Why are we doing this again? To find out what's inside the president's head! Aw, heck, Ren! I know what's inside the president's head! You do?! The president's head is full of beautiful, glorious, golden, yes, yes, caramel corn. (laughs) Uh, Moving on. All right. Episode four. Agents of Satan, not Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Could it be... Jeffrey and Bog landed in Salem, Massachusetts on November 13th, 1692 during the Salem Witch Trials. But the Salem... (laughs) But the Salem Witch Trials were supposed to end on September 14th, 1692. So Bog and Jeff must prevent the mother of Benjamin Franklin, Abia Folger, from being hanged. Oh, okay, Chico, that explains why they probably had to fix his kite in the previous episode. Probably. Bog, however, is himself tied in sentence as an agent of Satan to be burned at the stake. But Jeffrey uses the Omni to send them both to Boston in 1924, where they meet Harry Houdini during a seance and then go to Baltimore, Maryland to return the lyrics of the national anthem to Francis Scott Key in 1814. Not Francis Scott off key. <laughs> Written by Francis <laughs> <laughs> Written by Francis Scott Offkey. Just before stopping at a charlatan who tries to kill Houdini in 1924. Then they go back to 1692 and stop the witch trials for good. Now, guys, I have a okay, guess. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let me try and thread this together. They land in Salem two months after the Salem witch trials were supposed to end. And they have to prevent the mother of Benjamin Franklin from being hanged as a witch. Yes. But due to some freak accident, they use the Omni to get to Boston, where they meet Harry Houdini during a seance, who sends them to Baltimore to return the national anthem to Francis Scott Key before stopping a charlatan who tries to kill Houdini. Okay, none of this makes sense. No, none of this does not make sense. This does not make sense. It doesn't, and that's also one hell of a flowchart. <laughs> that's, oh tr- that's what I'm trying to wrap my head around. Okay, uh, I'll tell you right now, there's like a ton of actual historical people on this episode. 
Earl Bowen, who plays Reverend Paris, and Amy Folger, who is played by Jennifer Holmes, who you remember, again, from previous entry, Misfits of Science. Yes, that's right! Oh, and also we talked about Earl Bowen in previous installment, Second Chance 1987 slash Boys Will Be Boys, where he played Chaz's boss on Boys Will Be Boys. Yep, and uh, Harry Houdini was played by Michael Durrell, who was a that guy from that thing, but played uh, recurring character Doc Martin, or sorry, yeah, Doc Martin, That's his, that was his actual name, Dr. John Martin, called Doc Martin, on Beverly Hills 90210. He was also D.A. Lloyd Burgess on Matlock! Hey, Chico, you said 90210? Uh-huh. Playing the role of Betty Paris. Actually an actual person. Yes, a real person. Shannon Doherty. And folks, listen, if you don't know who Sharon Doherty is, what universe, not, not even what podcast are you listening to, what universe are you in? You know what? I had asked to play the audio of the, uh, Shannon Doherty playing a role in the Salem Bitch Trials on SNL, but NBC would probably give us a strike for that. So. Yeah, so instead we'll just play the clip from Mall Rats. Right here. What the hell are you doing? Finishing my game? No, 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 no. You promised me breakfast. Breakfast? Breakfast, breakfast. Look at the score, for God's sake. I'm only in the middle of the second, and I'm winning 12 to 2. Breakfast come and go, Renee. Now Hartford, the whale? Hey, they only beat Vancouver once, maybe twice in a lifetime. Hey, Greg? Yeah? Do you want a real meta reference? What? Playing Reverend Noise in this episode oh, is no. Guy Stockwell. D yeah. Stockwell's brother! Oh my god! How my meta god. is that? How oh. meta is that? That oh is craziness! Oh my god! Yeah! Dean Stockwell's brother was a guest star on Voyagers! And then, of course, Dean Stockwell, tying everything we've talked about in this episode, he was on Quantum Leap! As L. This is great! This is awesome. This is incredible. You know, in my head canon, I want to believe Voyagers and Quantum Leap are in the same universe. Well, they're both owned by NBC Universal, so... They might as well be. It could be. Okay, episode five, Worlds Apart. After a badly worn-out Omni nearly strands them in Siberia, Bog and Jeff become separated in the Middle East in 1917 during the conflicts between Arab tribes and Ottoman Turks. Jeffrey barely escapes with the Omni. Bog meets Lawrence of Arabia, and they are imprisoned by Turks, but escape with the help of an Arab woman named Medina. Meanwhile, in Menlo Park, New Jersey, on October 19, 1879, Jeffrey helps Thomas Edison with the invention of the electric light. Edison dismantles the Omni, and though unable to learn its secrets, he does manage to repair it. Jeffrey then reunites with Bog and Aquabah, then travel back to 1879 on December 31st to witness Thomas Edison demonstrate incandescent lighting to the public for the very first time. Okay, well guys, I have a guest star here. Playing Lawrence of Arabia is Judson Scott, who played one of Khan's henchmen who may or may not have been his son they never quite make it clear in the movie in star trek to the wrath of khan Joachim. yours is superior 
shall avenge you. Yeah, I've watched that movie. I still don't know what Conan that guy's deal is. Okay, so you now have watched it now, Chico. I told you, we went over this. I told you I've watched Wrath of Khan. It was my favorite of the Star Trek original uh, series. Don't worry, Chico. One day, because they just announced as we're speaking this week, as we're recording, that 4K box set with Star Trek's one through four. So eventually, maybe next year, we'll do a present on Star Trek's one through four. I'm sure Paramount Plus has it, and I'm watching Paramount Plus as we speak. Well, I can't wait for when they release the director's edition of Star Trek 1. They announced that. That's coming next year. Yeah, hey, Greg. What? Judson Scott also appeared on previous installment, The Powers of Matthew Starr. Oh, that's right. We forgot to mention he was on The Powers of Matthew Starr. Was it even? Oh, he was in the pilot, I remembered. He was in the Jackal episode. He was Um, in the Jackal episode, yep. Other names of note on this episode is Thomas Edison, played by Stephen Keats, who was basically, who I, I want to say he originated the role of Alfred Gresham on All My Children. Okay, he was on All My Children, okay. Mm-hmm. And hey, also, Greg. we have J.P. Morgan, played by Robert Ackerman, who was a that guy from That Thing. But okay. he played... Wade Loose uh, recurringly on Dallas. Episode 6. Cleo and the Babe. No, they're not the same person. Get your mind out of the gutter. In Rome, Italy on March 15th, 44 BC, Bog and Jeff meet Cleopatra on the Ides of March where Julius Caesar is assassinated in the Roman Republic on the Senate floor. Well, when they help her escape to Egypt, they end up with her being lost in New York City on May 21st, 1927. Whoops. Trump notices that Yankee Stadium is not there because Babe Ruth never got traded to the Yankees. They go and meet Isaac Newton in England in 1669 to help him solve the riddle of gravitation just before going to Boston in 1919 to make sure Ruth becomes a hitter with the Red Sox. Somehow they find Cleopatra on September 29th. Four months later. Four months later. (laughs) On September 29th, 1927. (laughs) Then they realize they also have to protect Babe Ruth from prime boss Lucky Luciano so that Ruth can hit his 60th home run tomorrow. What? (laughs) This is what happens when when you lose Cleopatra in time. Has the doctor taught us nothing? Cleopatra will wander around an era and not even give it a second thought. What the hell? Oh my god. Okay, I got a theory. What? Go on. They really had some very creative writers on this show, and I'm guessing for each episode... They had like a vat of ping pong balls with hundreds or thousands of different historical events or dates. And they just like grabbed four or five of them at random and are like, okay, we're going to connect all five of these events that have no connections to each other. How the heck do we go from the Ides of March to Babe Ruth in 1927 to Isaac Newton and gravity in 1669? And I don't get this. I do not get this. But it's entertaining as hell. 
Yeah, it's entertaining as hell to read. I don't know. This is just I, so confusing. Well, just remember, this is all to get kids to read books. Yeah, but we'll get there. Some names of note. Lucky Luciano, actual person, played by Michael Gregory, known as Lieutenant Hedgecock in RoboCop. Oh, RoboCop. And has since transitioned to voice acting. He's been in Madden NFL 18, Ninja Gaiden 3, Star Wars The Old Republic, and uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Yes, that steaming pile of video game. He voiced in that. I'm sure they've patched it up by this point. Babe Ruth was played by William Lucking who is known as Piney Winston on Sons of Anarchy. Oh, Sons of Anarchy. And Cleopatra was played by Andrea Marcovici, who is known as Tammy on Baskets. Oh, Baskets. Episode 7, The Day the Rebs Took Lincoln. Bog and Jeff are captured by the Confederate Army on November 19th, 1863 in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, because the South is winning the American Civil War. Oh, no! Oh, hell no! Oh, hell no! no. Please fix it! Fix it, Bog and Jeff! Fix it! Oh, please, God, please. They learned the Confederates kidnapped Abe Lincoln on April 18th, 1862 in Washington. But after escaping the camp, they go to London, England in 1832, where they meet Charles Dickens. Meanwhile, back in Washington, a presidential liaison betrays Lincoln, but the Voyagers bring Lincoln's hijacked presidential carriage back under Union control. Guys. 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 Okay. Are you ready for this? Okay. Playing an uncredited Union prisoner. This is the third 90210 mentioned in this episode. Playing the prisoner. I hope you're sitting down, guys. Luke Perry. What? Oh, jeez. Yes. The late great Luke Perry played a Union prisoner. That's right. The father of Jungle Boy from AEW played a Union prisoner on Voyagers. Okay. Some known names here. Uh, John Anderson played Abraham Lincoln. Not that John Anderson, but another John Anderson who played Pat Knight, the last gunfighter, on an episode of Quantum Leap. Oh, yeah. Wow. Another Quantum Leap reference. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And played Kevin X. Spriggs on Star Trek TNG. So, oh. Playing the role of Charles Dickens was Alex Hyde White, who uh, is a that guy from That Thing. But he uh, originates the role of Charles Cahill III on Days of Our Lives. Oh, that's terrific. Go- One other name I'm going to throw out there, playing an officer in this episode, was Ross Evan. You may be like, who's Ross Evan? Who is Ross Evan? Uh, apparently, he is Mr. Ashley Simpson. What? Uh, I'm sorry? Uh, let me repeat that. Taking a look here, he is Mr. Ashley Simpson. Oh, wow. Him, him and Ashley Simpson appeared on The Real in 2018. On Larry King Now in 2018... Uh, that wasn't Larry Clinton's uh, CB, uh, CNN show. No, that was uh, the uh, Hulu show he did. Our- and, and also, 
Uh, apparently, uh, he appeared on an episode of Martha and Snoop's Potluck Party Challenge. Oh, nice. Doesn't say whether he was with Ashley in that episode. Wow. Ashley Simpson's husband was in this episode. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. Okay. Episode 8, Old Hickory and the Pirate. In New Orleans of 1815, the War of 1812 has not ended, and the British controlled the city. Bog and Jeff helped Meriwether Lewis and William Clark in the Northwest Passage in 1803, just before they go to the Bahamas in 1798 to keep John Lafayette from being convicted of piracy in his future. There they encounter a group of pirates led by Black Bill Scrogans, and after a swashbuckling scuffle on the beach, Lafayette goes to New Orleans, and the Voyagers jump ahead to the Battle of New Orleans and meet General Andrew Jackson. Okay, so they basically have to make sure that the Battle of New Orleans is fought, but that it is not exactly part of the war. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. We have any guest stars? Playing the role of Black Bill Scroggins is George Ennis, who is uh, known as Bill Bailey in the original Italian job. Okay. And in the role of Andrew Jackson is Lance Legault, who is a that guy from That Thing, but uh, played Alamo Joe Rogan on future entry Werewolf. Ah, oh, Werewolf. Episode 9, The Travels of Marco and Friends. In New York on December 11th, 1930, the Voyagers save Albert Einstein and his wife from a falling desk. There they meet Isaac Wolfstein, an old retired Voyager whom Bog recognizes as the legendary Wild Man Wolfstein. But when Isaac asks to go on an island in the South Pacific, they end up helping Clara Borton in 1870 France during the Franco-Prussian War before going to July 1st, 1946 on one of the Marshall Islands. After leaving Isaac on an island, Bach and Jeff go to China on August 13, 1275. There they meet Kubla Khan, and there he tells them that Marco Polo and the Polo brothers have not come yet with the holy oil from Jerusalem. There they go to Persia in 1272 to keep the Polo brothers from mysteriously disappearing. Bog then goes back and retrieves Isaac from a nuclear testing site in Bikini Atoll. Both then go to the Strait of Hamas, where with Isaac's help, Bog frees his young companion from the Karuna, a group of Mongol slave traders. Okay, Chico, you ready for this? I am ready for this. Playing the Karuna chief. Okay. Mako! Mako! Mako is in this episode! And really, what isn't Mako in? Oh, yeah. Terrific. Mako. And we also had to talk about the, uh, who was it? The Polo Brothers? Okay, so Niccolo Polo is played by Pat Ranella, whoever that guy is. Matteo Polo is played by Paul Comey, again, whoever that guy is. But Marco Polo, Marco Polo, was played by Paul Regina, the late, great Paul Regina, who you remember as the gay brother in Brothers. Okay. Hey, speaking of Brothers, mm-hmm. playing Claire Barton in this episode is Patricia Donahue. Uh-huh. Her second-to-last credit was Voyagers, 
Guess what her last credit was? Brothers. 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 Brothers yeah. No, not even joking. Wow. Fun huh. fact: One of the brothers is played by the father of Fiona Apple. Wow. Google it. I'm not here to educate you, except I am. Okay. And, oh, Kublai Khan is played by Key Luke. And if you don't know who Key Luke is, what podcast are you even listening to? Am I right? Take your word for it. Okay. Episode 10, an arrow pointing east. After arriving just from Hawaii, Bog and Jeff help a wounded Robin Hood in the Sherwood Forest in England in 1194 and learn from Little John and Friar Tuck that the Sheriff of Nottingham is holding Maid Marian captive. When the Sheriff's soldiers trap the Voyagers, they jump to New York on May 19th, 1927. On Long Island, they help Charles Lindbergh make his historic flight from New York to France in the spirit of St. Louis. Then they go back to help Robin Hood rescue Maid Marian in 1194 before going back again to France on May 21st, 1927 to see Lucky Lindy land in France from a distance. Okay, Isn't Robin Hood supposed to be an android? <laughs> I like Robin That's Hood better when it, uh, he was on When Things Are Rotten. Okay, That's but, a Doctor Who joke, by the way. I, I got that. Okay, but guys... Oh boy! Do you want to know who played Charles Lindbergh in this? Lucky Lindy. I'm I'm literally watching him cook a bun of corn pizza as we speak. Oh my goodness! (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, playing Charles. You take Frakes, baby. Yeah, number one himself, Jonathan Frakes. (laughs) And uh, playing the role of. Robin Hood is Dan Hamilton, who was basically, he's known for directing soap operas, basically. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it is. And his maid, Marion, was Wendy Bolton, who would go on to portray Isabel Truscott Hazard in the miniseries North and South. Oh, North and South with Patrick Swayze. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a classic miniseries that was. Okay. Yep. And fun fact, married to Dwight Schultz. Oh my god, Howling Mad Murdoch! Well, I was gonna say uh, Lieutenant Barkley, but yeah. Episode 11. Merry Christmas, Bog. In Trenton, New Jersey on December 24th, 1776, <sighs> George Washington is on the wrong side during the American Revolution one day before he's supposed to win the Battle of Trenton. So the Voyagers go to Mount Vernon, Virginia in 1746 to keep him from joining the Royal Navy as a teenager. Then in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on December 24th, 1892, they meet Jeffrey's own great-grandfather, Stephen Jones, who is friends with Samuel Gompers. Bach and Jeff then go back to 1776 again, just before the Battle of Trenton, and witness Washington's crossing of the Delaware. Back in 1892, Stephen Jones convinces Bog to leave the orphan Jeff with him and his wife. Jeff, however, begs Bog not to leave him, and they stay together. So this is one of those episodes where it's like the fact that they are together on this incredible journey is destined. Yes. So I guess this is like the uh, the bootstrap paradox, I think. Yeah. It's like, his Omni 
malfunctions, so they would ultimately meet and, well, do all this fun stuff. Peter Donnett plays George Washington, who is known as uh, William Mulder in The X-Files. I believe that would be uh, Fox Mulder's. Yeah, it had to be Fox Mulder's dad, I would think. Yeah. Uh, Joe Dorsey played uh, Samuel Gompers, uh, who is known for... Gosh, what hasn't he been known for? He was known for a lot of stuff. He was a that guy from that thing. And that's pretty much all of the all of the uh, historic oh wait mike brick plays a younger george washington and who is known as a super scout in galactica 1980 that's going to come up in a future podcast eventually eventually chico you're forgetting i think maybe the most popular name here playing amy jones in this episode is ann lockhart June Lockhart's daughter. Oh. Oh, yeah. She is a that lady from that thing. Well, also, I do believe she had a role on Battlestar Galactica, as you just mentioned. Anne Lockhart played Lieutenant Sheba on Battlestar Galactica. And you know what? She was also a voice on Spider-Man and his amazing friends. A little nod to... Yeah, uh... she's definitely a known entity. Don't, yeah, don't, don't shortchange her. I'm not going to shortchange her. Okay, episode 12. Buffalo Bill and Annie play the palace. In England 1887, the Voyagers must prevent a wedding between England's Princess Victoria and Duke Michael of Russia. Queen Victoria has invited Buffalo Bill and Annie Oakley to perform a Wild West show. Is that historically possible? I think so, isn't it? Yeah, weren't they alive at the same time? Yeah, Yeah, they were. They were. A shooting competition had been arranged between the Duke and Annie, but the Duke's men kidnap Oakley to avoid the possibility of the Duke losing. Outnumbered, Bog and Jeff time jump into Africa in 1913, where they help Dr. Albert Schweitzer treat a dying chief, but a witch doctor believes the Voyagers are slave traders. Yeah, white guys in Africa. They're slave traders. Schweitzer's aide arrives with the medicine in time to save the chief's life, and then back in England, they free Oakley from the Russians in time for her to beat the Duke at the shooting match. There, they expose the kidnapping to the Queen, who breaks off the marriage alliance with the Russians. Well, guys, playing Buffalo Bill in this episode, Robert Donner. Exodore from Mork and Mindy. Yes. And playing Princess Victoria, Robin Eisenman, who also was from Mork and Mindy. Well, one episode of Mork and Mindy where she played Penny. But yeah, she was also a veteran of the soap operas. And two more names. Playing Annie Oakley in this episode is Diane Carey, who, well, she must have had a name change at some point because we talked about her not that long ago. She played Miss Nance on Misfits of Science. Oh. And she did it under the name Diane Savita. So I'm guessing it's married name versus maiden name. And she probably married, well, I don't know if she married Christopher Carey, but Christopher Carey was in this as well. And you would probably know Christopher Carey as, are you ready for this? Okay, what is it? I don't it? think you're ready for this. 
Captain America in the Captain America TV movie. Well, one of the Captain America TV movies. Captain America 2, Death Too Soon. Oh. Yeah, we'll cover those eventually. And one other name portraying Masandi in this episode is Raymond St. Jacques, who we talked about on The Powers of Matthew Starr, but also he's going to be in future installment, Superior Court. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, I love Superior Court. Do you love Superior Court as much as I love Wings? It's Uh, the judicial version of Wings for me. You better believe it. I thought Judge Judy was your judicial wings. Uh, She's the new era. The golden era is definitely superior court. Okay, Okay, kids. All right, kids, kids. All right. So we arrive at at an unknown place and time in the next episode. The trial of Phineas Fogg. Again, we don't know what place or time the Voyagers originally hail from, but we have to assume it is either somewhere deep into the future or somewhere incredibly deep into the future. Because we have the Voyagers in an empty courtroom with a non-functioning Omni. This was actually sort of written as uh, an exit ramp episode. You know what an exit ramp episode is, right? No, what is it? Uh, They were actually thinking that this was episode 13, and if they were not going to order any episodes, they could uh, put this as an exit ramp, like make the show have an actual ending. Yeah, so if it only ran 13 episodes, yeah, you actually have closure. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So, the Voyagers, empty courtroom, non-functioning Omni. A defense attorney named Susan claims Bog has violated the Voyager code and will be put on trial by Voyager Drake, a tough prosecutor. These three judges take the bench and Bog is charged with endangering Jeff's life. Because, duh. However, evidence of perjury during the trial is discovered, showing that Drake had tampered with the Omni memory recorder. When Drake attempts to escape with his Omni, the Voyagers grab him and end up in the Texas Revolution in Mexico in 1836. Drake escapes somewhere in time while Bog and Jeff help Sam Houston and the Texan rebels. Susan then brings them back, and a judge tells them that Jeff's destiny was to be a Voyager. He gives Bog his Omni, but they go back to work and disappear before he can give them a new guidebook. Oops! Yeah, and again, prior to filming this episode, there was some lingering doubt as to whether NBC would agree to more episodes, so an alternate ending was written, but not filmed, in which Bog would have saved the lives of Jeffrey's parents. So, we have... So, just in case you've seen everything, a clip show and evil Voyager plotline! Oh, this is just like the Evil Leaper plotline in Quantum Leap Season 5. Only that had continuity! Yeah. Gosh, outside the uh, appearances of previous uh, episodes, we don't really have much in the way of, of, uh, of guest stars. So this was a clip show, a bottle episode, and an off-ramp all in one. Oh. 
All right, here we go. Episode 14, Sneak Attack. In Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, on December 6, 1941, Jackie Knox, an Army intelligence officer, follows the Voyagers and steals the Omni, bringing them to Utah. On April 10, 1860, they find an injured teenage Bill Cody, who is riding for the Pony Express, but was attacked by outlaws. Bob convinces Jackie that Voyagers help people in history, but when Jeff decides to make the pony ride and gets ambushed, the trio jump back to Hawaii on the morning of December 7th. During the attack on Pearl Harbor, Jackie saves the life of General Douglas MacArthur. They then use a 1941 motorcycle for the pony ride in 1860 in order to outrun the bandits! What? No. There goes the historical continuity. Jeez. At this point, they're like, screw history. We need to crank out new episodes. Yeah, they're like, we made our first 13. Episode 14, we're going off the deep end. Yeah, we're going way off the deep end. Oh, we got a couple of guest stars here, Greg. Oh, but first, okay, playing the role of Mike. Are you ready for this? Oh, yes. David Graff. Excellent. This has got to be like the third or fourth show we've mentioned David Graff. Probably. Yeah. And we have uh, that lady from that thing in the role of Jackie Knox, uh, Brianne Leary, who... She, it, no, she's not a that lady from that thing. Oh, yeah, she was on Chips. Yeah, she was on Chips. She was also a contestant on Match Game, then came back three years later as a celebrity on Match Game. Let's welcome Brian Leary. <laughs> Brian Leary. Hello there. Who is it, Scott? There you go. You know Brian Leary? How are you, Brian Leary? Just fine, thank you. That's an interesting name, Brian. Brian. Is Brian. that an Irish name? Brian Bannigan Leary. Brian Bannigan Leary. Very Irish. Very, very Irish. Where are you from, Brian? Originally from Providence, Rhode Island. Providence, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Yep. I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Yep. And I'm out here now. And here obviously. you are. Well, welcome to my country. Thank you. Very <laughs> much. That's right. She did the reverse. She was a contestant on Match Game, and then when she got famous, she became a panelist on Match Game. Don't be saying she's a that person for that thing. Yeah, she was and on she's chip. not a person on various things. But she was on Chips. She was on Chips and Black Sheep Squadron. Thank you very much. Yeah. And hey, guys, you do know that Chris Pine's dad was on Chips, right? Absolutely. Uh, Yes, we do. Yeah. Robert Pine, who we'll be talking about eventually in Good Morning, Miss Bliss. Yep. Mark your calendars for that one, friends. Yeah. Somewhere in 2022, we'll cover it. Playing the role of the future Buffalo Bill Cody would be Ike Eisenman, who is known, aside from being a voice actor in uh, future entries, Blondie and Dagwood's Second Wedding Workout, Ring Raiders, and Dino Raiders. He was also... Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. He played a role on... He played Preston in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Second mention of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Oh, that's right, because he played Scotty's nephew in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, who gets killed, where in the theatrical version, you don't understand why Scotty is shaken up, but in the director's cut on the DVD, it explains why, because he's his nephew. 
Also on the direct-to-video Hunchback of Notre Dame sequel. <laughs> oh, the Disney made fours. But by the way, Yesterworld has a really good episode devoted to the Disney made fours. I suggest you go check that out. It's crazy. <laughs> Next episode is Voyagers of the Titanic. The Voyagers land on the Titanic to save the Mona Lisa and a fellow Voyager. Jumping to Paris in 1885, Jeffrey is bitten by a rabid dog and must receive the vaccine, just invented by Louis Pasteur. Fogg also convinces the other Voyager not to give up just because she can't save everyone. By the way, the Voyager's name is Olivia Dunn. She is trying to get the Mona Lisa off the ship because we all know what happens to the Titanic. Oh, yeah. By the way, did we mention that they were on the Titanic on April 14th, 1912? You know what that means? Yes, we know what that means. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And, and, that may, and that makes the old lady Bill Paxton's new best friend. Jeff what? tries to warn the captain with Molly Brown. Fogg meets a man named Haggerty, who's not a Voyager, but has an Omni. That belongs to Olivia Dunn. And they all go back to the Titanic, where Fogg finds Haggerty in the boiler room. They all try to get the Mona Lisa off just as the ship goes under. And then in Paris, Jeff believed they died until they show up and explain they had to bring the stolen painting back to the home of Vincenzo Petruccia. Well, guys, considering that Bog and Jeff were on the Titanic, I wonder if they ran into Susan St. James. You know what her response would be if she found out that the Mona Lisa was on the ship? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Not coming from a mile away, and it's still funny. <laughs> yes. Okay, so as far as history and uh, known entities, Sam Chu Jr. played J. Bruce Ismi, and he is known as a that guy from that thing. He's no Ian Holm, I'll tell you that much. No, he's not. Oh, actually... He recurred on The Bionic Woman as Mark Russ Russell. Obviously the original series, not the 2007 remake. In the role of Louis Pasteur is Will Kuleva, who was Charlie Kingman in Primus in 1971, and Andy Davies in Peyton Place. In the role of Molly Brown is Panola Flanagan, who is known as playing Elizabeth in the movie Transamerica, but is also equally known as playing Eloise, Ellie Whitmore, in Lost. Oh. Interestingly enough, an Irish woman playing an American. And in the role of uh, Voyager Olivia Dunn is Tracy Brooks Swope, who is known as an actress and a producer, and her last known credit was 2019's Getting the Kinks Out. But uh, yeah, she is a um, she's a soap opera lady. Episode 16, Pursuit. Bog brings Jeff to Cape Canaveral, Florida, to see the first moon landing. But the space program of the United States does not exist. German rocket technology was given to the Soviet Union at the end of World War II. 
but not to the United States. Uh-oh. This means Bog and Jeff have to go to Austria on May 1st, 1945, in order to ensure that the rocket scientist Werner von Braun surrenders to American forces. Bog tries to warn von Braun that one of his scientists is a spy for the Nazis before they finally meet Americans, and he gives them his rocket plants. They then go to July 20th, 1969, and see the Apollo 11 moon landing on television as Neil Armstrong utters his famous quote, That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Oh, this bastard's in it. Oh, that's right. That bastard Charles Logan is in this episode. He's probably trying to prevent... He's one, the, of, the, he's one of them damn Nazis, ain't he? He's probably one of those damn Nazis. It figures that bastard Charles Logan would try to, to, to make the Americans not have the moon landing, of course, because he's the evil president. You know who else plays a Nazi in this episode? Who plays a Nazi in this episode? Galron from Deep Space Nine, Robert O'Reilly. Oh, it figures Galron would be a Nazi. Biggest heel face turn in television. That's right. Galron. No, Duras is the Oh. Galron is, well, he's less of an He's kind of a jerk, but you know what? He's kind of a jerk. But he's our jerk. Yeah. And in the role of Werner von Braun is David Olivier, who is known as uh, that guy from that thing. He was on Street Hawk, Casablanca, the series, Knight Rider, One Day at a Time, Private Benjamin, and the Redux and Final Cut versions of Apocalypse Now. And also, uh, a name we've mentioned in the past, not a big name, but a name, playing Wally in this episode is a guy that goes under the name Beans Morocco. <laughs> he was credited with his real name, Dan Barrows, here, but we talked about him in the past. I don't remember which episode. It might have been The Powers of Matthew Starr. And also, uh, obviously, I don't think we mentioned him in this episode, but he also uh, was on one episode of Flying High. Oh, yes. All the way back in episode 15, Flying High. Beans Morocco. Beans Morocco was on Flying High. Okay. Episode 17. Destiny's Choice in Hollywood in 1928. The Voyagers end up on a closed set of the first sound film. When Jeff points out that the director is Franklin D. Roosevelt, they know all is wrong in Tinseltown. They go to Roosevelt's home in Hyde Park, New York in 1924 to keep him from mailing out a script and get known in Hollywood. But his wife, Eleanor, is at odds with Roosevelt's mother, who is ashamed of his polio. Posing as a handyman, Bog helps Roosevelt use crutches and convinces him to not depend so much on others. This allows Roosevelt to make an important public speech, move up in politics, and eventually become the president. And yes, John Eric Hexum removes his shirt in this episode. (laughs) Okay, I I think we've reached peak absurdity here. (coughs) Oh, wait! We've yet to reach peak absurdity here. No, no! Really? Okay, I, I cannot believe it. I don't even know. I, I, okay. I don't even okay, wanna... okay, before we get to peak absurdity, let's go over the uh, names. Playing Franklin Delano Roosevelt is Nicholas Pryor. We would know this, Greg, as Aznik in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. 
apologies if that's a little warm. The fridge is out, but I will see if there is some good food in the galley. That's Chosha Dufka's Verstva. It's good to have you back, sir. <laughs> also, since we've had enough Beverly Hills 90210 references, uh, he played for 26 episodes Chancellor Milton Arnold. Of uh, California University. Yeah, I would assume it's some sort of uh, educational institution if he's a chancellor, yeah. Yeah. And playing his wife, Eleanor, is Ellen Gear, who is the daughter of Will Gear from The Waltons. Oh. And, and she's seen as Lillian Sims in Desperate Housewives. And I, I was actually one of the voices on Pirates of Dark Water. And she played Mary in Beauty and the Beast and Doris on Falcon Crest and Julie Barris. And multiple roles, actually, on Chips. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Bachico. Bachico. Oh, uh, yeah. We got another name. Oh, 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 I think you know where I'm going with this. I, I, I do believe I know where you're going with this. Um, oh, Greg, I hope you're sitting. I hope you're sitting. You've been telling us to sit all episode. Yeah. I hope you are sitting right now, Greg. Okay. Playing right. Veronica Bliss on this episode. Greg, control yourself. Oh. Bonnie Ursef. Oh, Bonnie Ursef. Oh my God, we had her and we got it made. We had her in the 1984 NLCS episode. Hey, we have Punky Brewster's brother on this series. We have the nun who was in Punky's seats at the 84 NLCS. Uh, And also, obviously, we we have to make reference to our first and 100th episodes because she was on Match Game Hollywood Squares a few times. Of course she was. Oh, yes. And then we have another episode where Fog is taking his shirt off. Woo-hoo! It is called All Fall Down. On June 21st, 1938, in Pompton Lakes, New Jersey, the Voyagers see Joe Lewis training for a boxing match. When Fog knocks down Lewis in a practice bout, he decides to quit boxing. You blockhead! Uh-oh. the coaches will hurt Fog. Jeff time jumps them to an airplane over Nevada in February of 1970. There, an aircraft hijacker releases gas, which knocks everyone else except for Jeff. An air traffic controller then helps him land the Boeing 747 with future President Jimmy Carter on board. Back in 1938, they convinced Lewis not to listen to the claims of racial superiority about his opponent, Max Schmeling. Fogg and Jeff trade Lewis, and on June 22nd, Lewis wins against Schmeling and retains his title of... Heavyweight champion of the world! Hey, hey Chico. Uh huh. You remember what I said about the previous episode about the absurdity level? Yeah. You're right. This topped us. <laughs> what? You thought I was wrong? I, I, I didn't think you were wrong. I just thought it couldn't be more absurd than what we just talked about. Hey, guys. Do you want to know who played Pilot Brooks in this episode? Oh, yeah. Say I, the name, man. Say oh, it. Yeah. Say we, it. We talked about him in The Return of the Shaggy Dog. Jim McCrell. Damn right he is. That Jim McCrell, yes. Play the role of Joe Lewis is Sam Scarber, who is, he's still active, uh, but he 
does go on to uh, star in soap operas. But he played Carl Witherspoon on seven episodes of First and Ten. Oh, First and Ten with Delta Burke and O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yep. Okay. And, That's uh, a deep cut. That is a deep cut. Unfortunately, I do not have a, a listing for somebody who played Magic Schmeling. Oh, well, who cares? Yeah. And I'm going to add playing ground control number one on this episode is an actor by the name of L.Q. Jones. Maybe not a big name, but his career has spanned six decades from the 50s to the 2000s, still with us at age 93, going to turn 94 uh, in August. Wow, okay. He's been on everything. Perry Mason, The Rifleman, Lassie. Oh, I I mean, literally, he's been, uh, actually, uh, he was on the TV series Annie Oakley, going back to a previous episode that we talked about. Oh, so yeah, nice. he, he's been on everything going back to 1955. So uh, somebody with a very diverse resume. Awesome. Episode 19, Barriers of Sound. Now I should note that this episode aired much later in the summer in June 12th, 1983. I'm guessing these were like this in the next episode, which is the final episode with two episodes that they just decided to burn off in the summer basically. Let's see how absurd it is and maybe that'll explain it. Alright. In Denison, Texas, on October 14th, 1890, Bog and Jeffrey discovered that the telephone has not been invented. If the telephone is not invented, then Dwight D. Eisenhower will not be born and there will then be no medical assistance. Thus, they travel to Boston in 1875 where Bog saves the life of a deaf woman named Mabel Hubbard. They find Alexander Graham Bell. But his invention, the telephone, does not work. Jeff realizes that Mabel will be Belle's wife and arranges a meeting. But Mabel and Bog fall in love with each other instead. Uh-oh. To avoid compromising his mission, Bog reluctantly breaks Mabel's heart. He and Jeff then go to March 7th, 1876, where Belle and Thomas Watson are working on the phone. When Belle injures himself and screams, Mr. Watson, come here, I want you. Watson, hearing Bell's voice on the telephone, jumps for joy, knowing they succeeded. Meanwhile, back in Texas in 1890, Bog and Jeff help guarantee the birth of Dwight Eisenhower by getting assistance from a doctor on the phone. Okay, but... Yeah, that's absurd. Uh, yeah, that's that's a bit absurd. Uh, playing Dr. Thomas A. Watson is Linwood Boomer, who would go on to create Malcolm in the Middle. Wow! Oh, and also, since it's one of my favorite shows, we need to add, he was a writer of numerous episodes of Night Court. Oh, but yes. Oh, okay. he, yeah, he, he's more famous behind the scenes, but yeah, he's a big name behind the scenes. Okay. He is a big name behind the scenes. Uh, oh, speaking of big names, the person who plays the deaf patient, Mabel Hubbard, Lou Mulford. Who'd that be? I know who she is. She is a model on later episodes of Sale of the Century. Oh. And, and also was in a couple of commercials or two. She actually has a reel on her YouTube channel. It is really good stuff. 
It is. It's, it's very good. Yes. Yeah. But but guys, playing the character of Gardner Green Hubbard is legendary actor John Randolph, who you'd best know as Clark Griswold's dad in Christmas Vacation. Nice. But not yes. Only, but not only that, guys. But here's a fun fact. He was the original actor who played the role of Frank Costanza on Seinfeld. That's right. Before Jerry Stiller, he played Frank Costanza in one episode back in 1993. And actually, because it was only in the network airing, because when they put it in syndication, they redid his scene with Jerry Stiller. So both versions, the John Randolph version and the Jerry Stiller version, are on the Seinfeld DVD that that episode is in for that particular season. Awesome. Okay, and uh, playing the role of uh, Alexander Graham Bell is Kenneth Gilman, who is credited uh, most of his career as Kenneth David Gilman. He is on a lot of things. Trapper John, uh, Studio 5B, Nurses, Relativity. He He did an episode of CSI Miami. Oh, God, I can't believe there's a movie called this. Atlas Shrugged 2, The Strike. Oh my, wait, what year is this? Atlas Shrugged 2, The Strike, was 2012. Oh yeah, yeah, those were those horrible Atlas Shrugged movies with freaking, where none of the cast was the same in every movie. Uh-huh. Well, it makes sense, because the book is terrible. Yes, at first I was happy to be learning how to read. It seemed exciting and magical. But then I read this, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. I read every last word of this garbage, and because of this piece of sh- I'm never reading again. Hooray for Barbie! Oh, but perhaps one of the more notable names that does not get, like, front and center billing. Playing a waiter. Dan Frischman. Who's I that? know who that is. Who is that? He was, he was Arvid. He was Arvid on Head of the Class. Wait. Yeah. Oh, yes. That means he was also in Keenan and Kel. Yeah, he was Chris on Keenan and Kel. Oh, Chris on Keenan and Kel. Well. Now you get it. Well, the one. Well, at least he's not Dan Schneider. I knew there was a Dan uh, Schneider well, joke coming. Less said about that, the better. Yeah, we don't want to talk about Dan Schneider. The less said about him, the better. Yeah, we're not talking about Jeffrey Jones this episode. We're not talking about Dan Schneider this episode. No. No, we're not. I'm sure Jeanette McCurdy doesn't want to talk about Dan Schneider, but anyway. Okay, Okay, final episode. July 10th. Jack's back. In London. Jack is back and you're gonna be in trouble. Hey, no, Jack is back and I think we're all in trouble. Just wait, wait for it. Wait That's for it. That's the is... joke, Chico. Yeah, wait. Because this is the peak of insanity. Oh no! They saved the best insanity for the last episode. They saved the most insane for last. No <laughs> given. In London, November 19, 1889, American journalist Nellie Bly is attacked by a man, but the attacker vanishes when Bog and Jeff appears 
when her friend Sir Arthur Conan Doyle begins to question Bly about her attacker, she suspects Bog is the infamous Jack the Ripper and gets the police. Inspector Lestrade of Scotland Yard arrests Bog, and the Voyagers realize renegade Voyager Drake was Bly's attacker. Evil Voyager returns! After they escape from Lestrade, they find Drake about to kill Bly and Doyle in order to ruin history, but Bog and Jeff stop him before he vanishes in time. <sighs> what a way to go out, guys. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, like you said, Mike, absolutely no s given. Yes. <laughs> okay, Nellie Bly is played by Juliet Duffy. And if yes. you don't know who Julia Duffy is. Yes, because she was Stephanie on Newhart. Right? The uptight sister of Jennifer Holmes's character. Yeah, who ends up marrying Peter Scolari. Uh, Dr. Arthur Conan Doyle is played by Michael Ensign, who I believe he is the voice of Crash Bandicoot, if I'm not mistaken. Wow, the voice of Crash Bandicoot. Nope, he is the voice of Dr. Nefarious... Oh, Doctor the Crash Bandicoot. Okay, games. well, Doctor Ferris, he's on par with Charles Logan and the Royal Pacific Hotel, and was the people we hate. I hate Doctor Ferris. Uh, Gary Gibson plays Inspector Lestrade, who I was today years old when I learned that he was based on an actual person. Wow. And we should also mention that in this episode. Reprising his role as Drake is Stephen Liska, who was in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Oh, what role did he play in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock? Torg. Oh, he must be one of the Klingons. Hey, Mike, do you know who plays the Klingon Maltz in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock? I do not. Okay, you ready for this? You're gonna love this. I'm ready for this. Okay, John Larroquette. Oh, jeez. And oh has, my god! You know we talked about Star Trek three. I think over last week or two weeks ago. But you know what? John Larroquette delivers one of my favorite lines in the movie to Captain Kirk, and I'll play it right here. You help us or die. I do not deserve to live. Fine, I'll kill you later. And that is basically the show in a nutshell. I mean, it has like a, like all time traveling shows before. There is a bit of a legacy. A bit of a legacy. It's like they took all the best bits of this show and applied it as lessons for future time travel epics. Least of which is Doctor Who and Timeless. And uh, again, there's so much uh, that this you know leaves unfinished. And frankly, how can I put this? There was sort of a follow up with the Jacks back episode, but they don't really follow through with it, and probably for the best since they end up burning off all of the uh, episodes over the summer. And this is one of the uh, few shows on television in that era that sort of had its own built-in CBS read more about it little prompt at the end. If you want to learn more about the Wright Brothers, Eddie Rickenbacker, and the early days of flying, Take a voyage to your nearest public library. It's all in books. Okay, so Chico, you have something to add about the origin story of Voyagers? Yes, 
And uh, you might want to get the Patrick Star sounder ready because, well, I'll read it out. This is the introduction to the uncredited narrator of the cobbled together made for from those two TV episodes that were cobbled together and made into a movie after John Eric Hexum died. Far out in the cosmos, there exists a planet known as Voyager, where the mystery of travel into space and through time has been solved. It is inhabited by a race who call themselves Voyagers. Their purpose is to keep constant surveillance on history. These people have a time machine device, the Omni, which will take them into the past, present, or future. As each Voyager graduates, he is given an Omni and a guidebook. One such graduate, Phineas Bogg, was assigned as a field worker to operate in certain time zones. Does this look like anything to you? Quantum oh. leap. And around the world in 80 days. And Planet Voyager sounds like the Sentinel of the Time Lords. And guys, this show had life after 1983. Really? I, I remember as a kid, probably 9, 10 years old, that a local station here re-ran Voyager's like 4 p.m. on Saturday afternoons back in like 1985. I am not surprised. But also, if you want to see Voyagers, Amazon Prime Video has all 20 episodes. Yes. Not only that, Universal Studios has made the show available on DVD. Yes, in fact, released in uh, 2007, as well as in Region 2. And I bet you didn't know this, but they edited the first two episodes together into a made-for called Voyager from the Unknown, which makes absolutely no sense when you think about it, because episode one ended on a cliffhanger that is not resolved in episode two. No, no there's, again, no continuity in any of these episodes. No, there isn't. Yep. No, it is not. Interesting thing about the two actors, their careers went in incredibly divergent paths. Mino Pellucci, perhaps as a spur from this series, went on to become a high school history teacher. Oh, that's interesting. It is interesting. John Eric Hexum would continue his work in Hollywood, and unfortunately, between seasons of future installment cover-up, he was having a bit of fun with a prop gun and um, wound up seriously injuring himself to the point where he died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Hence why I said earlier, there could really legitimately be a Hollywood Babylon episode about him. Here's the story. On October 12, 1984, after a shooting on cover-up, he became bored. He put a Prop 44 Magnum to his temple and pulled the trigger. It fired, and the wadding from the blank cartridge shattered his skull, whereupon he was rushed via ambulance to Beverly Hills Medical Center. And despite five hours of work, one week later, he was taken off life support and pronounced dead. However, his commitment to organ donation meant five other lives were assisted or saved with organs harvested from him. He was 27 years old. 
And at the time of his death, he was dating Elizabeth Daly. You'd best know is the voice of Tommy Pickles. Right. And that one season of The Voice. Yeah, it's true. She was on The Voice one season. Right. That happened. Okay. Now, I was actually the one who put this on the schedule because I was doing a deep dive on YouTube. And one of the things I found was Dave Letterman in 1983 addressing Voyager's cancellation as an after-school special. That is actually a thing that happened. It was. And I believe that is on Don Giller's YouTube channel. What isn't on Don Giller's YouTube channel? No, seriously. But here's the thing. Voyager's, as we know, ran for one season. Now, this aired on Sunday nights, opposite 60 Minutes, which was the top-rated show at the time. The series averaged a 17 share, and at the time, Voyager seemed likely to be renewed for a second season. However, controversies in 60 Minutes reporting at the time led executives at NBC to believe that 60 Minutes might successfully be challenged by a competing news program. So NBC canceled Voyager's and replaced it with a news magazine program called Monitor, which only averaged a 7 share. And I do believe Monitor is on our list. Well, if it's not, it's going to be. Do you want me to read the description of Monitor? Please read the description of Monitor. Okay. In test audiences, including one in which future NBC anchor Sarah James was a college student, the show did not test well. But producers refused to change the format. The first episode featured an extended story on Bobby Saez, a light heavyweight boxer from New Jersey. The show placed last in its time period in national ratings in its debut and was one of the least watched programs in all of primetime. Wow. Yikes. That makes the first episode of 2020 look like a masterclass. And despite attempts to add anchors to broaden its appeal, new theme music, and changing the title to First Camera, the changes failed to draw in viewers, and its new time slot only damaged ratings fervor, seeing no hope of successfully competing against 60 Minutes. 7% of NBC affiliates declined to carry the revamped show, and it was fervor hurt by frequent preemptions due to NFL football runovers. And as a result, First Camera was removed from the NBC schedule several months after the makeover, with its last episode airing on April Fool's Day of 1984. Because that was a joke. Yeah, I believe we have it on the list under the name First Camera, not Monitor. Okay. But yeah. So NBC in their hubris thought, oh, 60 Minutes is in trouble. We can take some of that 60 Minutes money for ourselves. Nope. No. This ain't happening. But just think about it. If NBC didn't decide in their stupid wisdom to go after 60 Minutes, maybe this show would have lasted a little longer and maybe John Eric Hexum would have lived? It's very speculative. Now, yeah, you're going to need to uh, cough up your own Omni to try and figure that one out, Greg. Hmm. Well, there's been shows that have survived being in that death slot at seven uh, on Sundays versus sixty minutes. Um, I, well, I'm thinking a lot of, of actually my head. Richard, runs to this day. 
Well, the Fox animated shows well, don't count. Does America's Funny Home no, Videos no, I, count? That's what I was saying. Is that necessarily on at seven? I thought that's yes, sometimes it on at eight. It's I, on at seven. Well, what I was thinking was you had Punky Brewster back in the day at that time slot. Silver Spoons right afterwards. You, Silver Spoons. You also had Baywatch at that time. Now, admittedly, when it was on NBC, it didn't last long. No, it flopped it went on, on NBC. To bigger and better things later. No, it's horrible. No, you're absolutely right. It flopped on NBC, but it went on to bigger and better things. And then also, you had shows like uh, I believe Wonderful World that Disney was on uh, ABC well, at that D- time. Disney Sunday movie would have been '86. Yeah. And also, you would have had Ripley's Believe It or Not with Jack Palance. Second mention of that in this episode. Believe it or not. <laughs> well, what do we have to say about Voyagers, guys? Flying through time and space, putting right what once meant wrong, knowing full well that he is never going home. It was a prototype quantum leap, and in 1982, it was... Nothing on TV. It was definitely advanced for its time. It, it definitely set the groundwork for shows like Quantum Leap. Absolutely. Hey, guys. Do you want to buy the Voyager from the unknown VHS tape? Oh, God. Oh, no. I, I, we can't get through one episode without this. Okay. okay. Let's no, do we it. Cannot. Let's do it. It's time for eBay Prices Right, y'all. Okay, guys, you are bidding on the Voyager from the unknown VHS tape from 1985. And there is virtually no description. It just says Voyage from the Unknown VHS 1985 in parentheses. Okay, so you're bidding on the tape. Okay, I'm going to start the bidding with Mike. This could be anything. I will go... I will go $4.99. Chico. One dime. Okay. Please let it be nine cents. <laughs> let him overbid. Guys, the price of the Voyage from the Unknown VHS tape. Eighteen dollars. Are no, you kidding no, me? No, no. I, no. I, I like Chico's bid. One dime. That's it. One dime. It's eighteen dollars. No. I've spent more on less, so. I spent more on less today. <laughs> <laughs> so what if you had a little bit more than $18 lying around? Oh, no. Don't say we're going to do the DVD set of the series now. Oh, we're not going to do the DVD set of the series. That's, you know, anybody could do the DVD set of the series. I have an actual script from Cleo and the Babe. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's do it. Okay, uh, uh, I have to read the notice here. This material is the property of Universal City Studios Incorporated and is intended and restricted solely for the studio use by studio personnel. Distribution or disclosure of the material to unauthorized persons is prohibited. The sale, copying, or reproduction of this material in any form is also prohibited. 
Yeah, well, good job of that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, the episode is Cleo and the Babe. We went over this, and somebody put it on eBay. But hey, they're offering it at a discount, believe it or not. Ooh, a discount. Yeah. So, so, so we're uh, bidding on the discounted price? Yeah, we're bidding on the discounted price. Okay. Uh, Greg, why don't you go first? You know what? In honor of the babe, I'm going to go $60.60. Mike? I will go $39 even. Okay. Well, I'll tell you right now, the original list price was $575. What? <laughs> that was the original list price. Wow, I was way too generous with I was way too generous with sixty dollars and sixty cents. You know, please know let it be discounted it. by ninety percent. <laughs> please let it be discounted by ninety percent. The actual buy it now price. Oh God. Be pre- pre- prepared to back the truck up. Four hundred sixty dollars. <laughs> no. 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 You know what? I loved what NBC tried to do with this show, but no. 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 Uh, unless it was unless it was John Eric Hexum's script. No. And even then, no. What if it was Mita Pellucci's script? Well, hell no. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> If you want to learn more about Voyagers, take a voyage to Amazon.com and order the DVD set. Or you can buy it on Prime Video for 15 bucks. Or you can just go to Daily Motion and watch it for free. But if you want to learn more about any of the other shows we've covered, especially the ones we mentioned in this episode, take a voyage to It Was a Thing on TV.com. It's all in the episodes, the mini-sodes, the live shows, and, of course, our links to our friends at Place to Be Nation. Oh, yeah, because now we got, coming up on Wednesday, the director's cut. The epic two-hour director's cut of the Bicentennial Minute. Yep, featuring 20 to 30 minutes of new, unused footage. Yes, there's going to be so much fun stuff. Oh my god, you're going to love it. It's going to be a great addition that you're going to hear on Wednesday on the Place to Be Nation Pop Experience. Get your downloads ready, people. And, oh, by the way, while you're at the Place to Be Nation Pop Experience, we've recorded an episode of Making Mount Rushmore. Yep, we sure yes, did. Yes, we did. It was a, ba- a very, very spirited episode. Very spirited episode with Andy. We discussed our Mount Rushmore's of our favorite game shows and reality competition shows over the years. But guys, I'm not going to spoil it, but now on Play Speed Nation Pop Experience, I am in the final round of PTBN Trivia Night, and I won't tell you how I did. You can listen to it, and I'll talk about it in the next episode, so... Actually, it'll be in the episode after that next Monday because I forgot to mention it for the Thursday episode. Did I win the championship belt? Well, you're just going to have to find out. Isn't that right, Eligante? I won the belt. 
Indeed, Eligante. You want the belt. Oh, Eligante. Oh, my God. Eligante. Ric Flair, I kill you. Damn! Oh, my. Thanks, Ron Simmons. Okay. <laughs> Damn! Oh, Damn! Okay. Well, that does it for this episode. Oh, wait. We didn't even... You need to tease the episode. We got to tease the episode. Okay. Well, we talked about last week. This is going to be an episode about one of the all-time legends of television. Oh, I can't wait to talk about him. This is, I think, Jake, uh, Mike, this is the man's 100th birthday is coming up this month. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me this guy was 100 years old? If he would still be alive? Yes. Can you believe it? And I thought he was 100 years old back when he was alive. Yikes. But you know what? He brought so much joy in our lives. We decided to dedicate a special episode to this man. You know what? We will talk about him and his many career achievements, all of which Greg has a running tally of next time on It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for watching. We'll see you Thursday. Wow! Being on at, at this hour, I don't reach many preteens through our program, so when this television network, NBC, offered me a chance to star in an after-school special aimed at the preteen age group, well, frankly, I was ecstatic. Uh, the program aired this past season and received so much critical acclaim, we decided it was worth repeating tonight. And I think you'll agree that even though it was made for kids, it deals with a subject we all face at one time or another. Jimmy, are you going to do homework all night? Don't you think you ought to watch a little TV? I will, Mr. Letterman. I just want to finish in time for my favorite show, Voyagers. Voyagers. It's a fine program. Keep an eye on the clock so you don't miss one action-packed minute. <laughs> I just I just want to point, this is a very slow news day in 1983 when this is the biggest headline on the New York Times. No, no not the New York no, Times. The York, the York New, new times. times. The New Times of York, Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, considering... The headline... NBC cancels Voyager's TV show to be replaced by better program. Well, you know what? The New York Times is so awful these days that, you know what? That headline could might as well be the title of something on the news. <laughs> the joke is because it was monitor. At Doug J. Balloon. I love that guy. What do you say we go for a, a little walk, all right? <laughs> well, we can talk about that outside, okay? Okay. Do you know what it means for a show to be canceled? No, I don't think so. Well, it's when a bunch of executives at a television network decide that a TV show shouldn't be on the air anymore. And then they take it off and replace it with something new. Sometimes that's a good idea, you know, because the show is filled with bad acting and bad writing. And sometimes it's 
the executives who have been bad. This canceled business, it, it could never happen to Voyagers, could it? <laughs> yes, Jimmy. And I'm afraid it has. What? Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy. Oh, no. Jimmy, where Jimmy, are you? Come back. Jimmy. Jimmy, 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 I've been looking all over for you. Hey, hey, hold, hold on there. You heard it first, but believe me, you're going to get over it. You don't understand. Nobody does. Jimmy, just because a show is canceled doesn't mean it goes away forever. Uh -huh. Can live on through reruns, syndication. You mean I might see Voyagers again? <laughs> well. Yeah, maybe in some form or another. You know, Jimmy, I remember when they canceled Six Million Dollar Man. Boy, I thought my world was going to end. But then the Fall Guy premiered and players were answered. Sure, it was a different time, slightly different format, but I adjusted. And you know what? I grew a little in the process, too. I know what you're saying, Mr. Letterman. The Voyagers. It was different. It was really special. I don't think I'll ever watch TV again. Jimmy, don't ever say that. Not even as a joke. What should I do? I tell you what, I'll show you the NBC fall schedule. Come on. I have a feeling we're going to find a new show for you that just may turn out to be as good as Voyagers. And uh, here's a show called Manimal. This one's about a crime fighter who can turn into a, a snake and a bird. This one mostly this the one's bird. about a chimp who lives in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be good. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a show about a chimp who lives in Washington. You think I was sad they canceled Voyagers? <laughs> this is going to be the best TV season ever. <laughs> Maybe it will be, Jimmy. <laughs> Maybe it will.